friends, we are back! Welcome, fiends, to Handle with Scare, presented by the Slash Incast Podcast Network. Our show discusses horror movies and the phobias that they emphasize. With me tonight, to cap off the month, as always, are my co-hosts, Holly Hooch and John. And guys, here we are, the end of Fear of Aging. Uh, and, uh, a very intriguing movie to, to end the month as a whole, because this was, this is one of those movies that I've always heard about. I remember seeing the poster, uh, I've seen pieces of it, but I never saw the full length. So I finally got to experience it in, uh, all of its messy glory. Uh, there are some really high highs to this movie, but there are also some things that we're just kind of like, okay, but for a vampire feature that never uses the word vampire, I thought it was interesting. <laughs> you know, because there, there definitely seems to be more in play than is actually presented, so to speak, just with the the mythology <laughs> behind the main character. Uh, but we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Uh, but, you know, all in all, really good month, pretty good phobia, and, uh, you know, it's warming up a bit, so I cannot wait to introduce our next phobia later on tonight. <laughs> You're absolutely right about warming up. We're here in San Francisco, but it's so warm. I'm kind of wishing we didn't do video these days because <laughs> I feel very clean. It's really warm here, and I got a loud fan in the back because <laughs> nobody has air conditioning out here. Air conditioners out here. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes. So, I'm excited for you to announce the next phobia, for, but for today, we got the hunger. Did you want to announce the next phobia, or should we go into the hunger? Now, we're, we're going to talk about the hunger, uh, but of course, you know, just a reminder, last week, we looked to cure aging through uh, extracting glands from the dead in uh, one of the few Hammer films that we've done, The Man Who Could Cheat Death. Now, tonight, uh, we have some, dare I say, erotic horror uh, in The Hunger, so Holly, this was your pick, so, uh, thanks? I, I, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 definitely it's an intriguing movie but it's definitely it, it feels off its time right from the get-go <laughs> although it's of its time for sure but uh i i wouldn't say that it's well no it's certainly dated but i remember all i could think when we were watching this was like wow i wish i was of age and really hot in the early 80s because it looked like a lot of fun even even new york was like man he looks great even like, I mean, like the bums in New York are what's his face, uh, Willem Dafoe, <laughs> and the guy from All I'm Mad About You, not Paul Reiser, his buddy. But I was just like, man, those were the tough guys. Mm -hmm. New York in the early '80s. Yeah, this is a, a movie that is uh, really ahead of its time. It, uh, extreme on one hand, extremely dated by today's <laughs> standards. <laughs> But at the time it came out, was actually extremely ahead of its time. One of the Certainly. earliest kind of hip modern takes on vampires. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, the sexual parts in the movie. But maybe we can, like, slow our roll a little bit. But uh, it's, it, it was also the first time that I, I watched it all the way through myself. I'd seen so many parts of it growing up. Just, oh, a scene here or there. Like, for example, that Bauhaus song of course you know so famous the opening, the opening and the opening scene is pretty rad mm -hmm. i mean it's, it's just so fun it's sexy it's cool it's it's a lot of things um i i hadn't seen it before so i was really glad that i got to see it and i was really glad that i got to see it with with friends you know you know john and i watched it and joe was here and, um we all had a lot of fun with it. Um, but this is it's a movie it, it's a Similar to last week's movie, The Man Who Could Cheat Death, it's a movie that has really strong, strong points and then really weak, weak points as well, which we'll get into, of course. But right. one of the strongest points, though, for sure, is the opening of the movie. The first five or ten minutes of the movie is really, really good. I mean, it made me really want to be a vampire and made me really want to be in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I was already alive, but I was not that cool. I think that, <laughs> that, movie, like an that movie made people into goths so back quick. in the 80s. Like, <laughs> that, it's like Bauhaus and 
David Bowie in that opening five minutes, I think pretty much single-handedly created the goth scene in the late 80s and 90s. And it's it's tough because I've been like I've been uh, thinking about the movie. I've been doing some homework, and it's tough to say where. It's not tough to say where the weaknesses are. It's easier to say where the strengths are. But then when it comes down to the weaknesses, it's kind of hard not to just come on down on a, a poor Tony old Scott mm-hmm. <laughs> because all of the all of the acting performances were really strong. And I mean, so surprising from I'm not surprising because David Bowie is good in everything. In the few movies that he's been in, he's been pretty amazing. But in this one, which just was a little bit more emotional, like he did a wonderful job. And you know, then you've got really other great actors like. Is And her last name right? And then there's uh, Susan Sarandon, and uh, and a flock of really cool scientists. Even the scientists were cool in this movie. That was nuts. I only know like one cool sort of scientist. And she's just a badass mathematician in Philadelphia. Pretty close, though, right? Hanging out, smoking. Oh, yeah. Looking hot. (laughs) They they had the lab scenes. They have the lab scenes. But very poorly lit labs, which doesn't Mm. make any sense. I've been in labs. They're always brightly lit with fluorescent lights. And everything looks like it was built in the 70s. I'm pretty sure they don't exhale their cigarette smoke onto the actual (laughs) petri dishes as they look at them. But also, uh, and the guy, I I don't know his name, but I just kept referring to him as the guy from The Thing, uh, who plays uh, the boyfriend in the movie. Yeah, I don't remember. The scientist, he's the guy in The Thing. The boyfriend, we'll just call him the boyfriend. Yeah, Mm -hmm. he's in there as one of the hip scientists. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of... New York actors. Uh, it was neat from that time. You know, as as you mentioned, uh, Willem Dafoe had about a two second cameo in the movie, and un- I'm sure an unknown Willem Dafoe. And then the he's like a bunch of junkies up front. <laughs> so we can uh, we'll put up the synopsis pretty quick because it's fairly straightforward. So the story centers around two vampires. Uh, we've got Catherine uh, Devenue, who is called Miriam, mm-hmm. and then we've got David Bowie as John, mm-hmm. and she is a six thousand year old vampire. Uh, that I'm not sure if, he, if she's Egyptian in origin, but that's like the she earliest point. The implication. The yeah, implication. She's implied to and be also, like an Egyptian vampire queen. Right. That's a cool line. Uh, also, the book. This is based on a book, right? So that that came out like in I want to say seventy eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, she she is able to take on lovers by you know having them drink her blood, but uh, she promises them eternal youth. But alas, they only get about three hundred years before they start crumbling, and all of their aging and all of the everything that would have happened to them happens to them all at once. And so this is what's happening to David Bowie. He is growing old very quickly, and he is freaking the fuck out. Mm-hmm. So. He- goes to find the scientist who is played by Susan Sarandon, who is doing a lot of work on uh, uh, being... Sleep and its connection to aging. Thank is, you. What it seems like, this is one of the weaker parts of the movie, is what mm-hmm. exactly like that they're working on and how it ties into the story. Like, True. It seems like they're working on sleep and aging, and they have that uh, that it's not a chimp, it's a uh, what's it, a baboon that uh, hasn't slept in 56 hours. hours. I remember that line. <laughs> so uh, both Catherine, or I'm sorry, Miriam and John uh, seek out Susan Sarandon. Play, what was her name in that? Susan Sarandon. Yeah. Sarah? It's, I'm pretty sure it's Sarah. Okay. Oh, Sarah. Okay. So um, they seek her out individually, uh, David Bowie, unsuccessfully. That was a really cool, interesting part of the movie where you're following David Bowie and he's your main character. And then halfway through the movie, he's, spoiler alert, he dies. And I remember, like, <laughs> I paused the movie. I'm like, probably halfway through. What are we, like, what are we doing? I guess it's a Susan Sarandon And so Miriam, the 6,000-year-old vampire, does move on to her next potential lover, which is Susan Sarandon, and uh, because they were unable to find a way to cure David Bowie, uh, he turns Susan Sarandon 
Uh, they have her the addiction moment where you know she doesn't know she has to feed and she's freaking out, man, and you know Willem Dafoe. Uh, let's see, there's a little bit of science parts in there. Um, she comes back, she fights back, she kills her her boyfriend, and then she when she's confronting Catherine about what's going on, she kills herself. Is that before or after the zombies? The zombies are later. Later. So, okay. So then, at some point, we find out that Kat, uh, that Miriam or Catherine Devenu has been keeping all of her old lovers. So we know they only last for about 300 years or 200 to 300 years young. And you think, oh, okay, then they die. They don't die. Mm-hmm. They just get super freaking old and ancient. And then she keeps them in boxes in her fucking attic. Like, not even a rocking chair by a window. That seems really <laughs> So she puts John into a box. She carries him up there because you, you do kind of come to the idea that uh, she's got superhuman strength. She puts him up there. Uh, at some point, uh, when Susan Sarandon's fighting back, uh, the zombies, or no, they're not zombies. They're more they're, like, they're almost like mummies, I guess would be the best way to put it. Thank you, living mummies. Mm-hmm. So uh, they fight back and they're all kind of falling apart, but they certainly like take her down. She eats it in the end. Susan Sarandon kills herself because she doesn't want to live the life of an addict or, you know, be in that world. And then it turns out that the studio was like, hell no, we need more of this shit. Make me a better ending. Not a better ending, I'm sorry. An ending that's open-ended. So the very last scene is uh, Susan Sarandon uh, with this really hot young couple in this very airy, expensive New York apartment looking out over the city. Because she is now, oh, and then also Miriam in a box in her attic because she's now taking over the role of vampire queen. And who knows if she'll live a lot longer than 300 years? Maybe. But that never, that never got a, a sequel, so there's that. So that's the quick synopsis. It's a, I know it was a little unceremonious of me to say it that way, but <laughs> the movie is very straightforward. And as cool as it is, it does lack quite a bit of substance, unfortunately. <laughs> it's style over substance. And, you know, for the most part, okay with that. I mean, the movie was very cool. Like, everybody looked amazing. Uh, the acting was really great. But, again, there wasn't a lot of, like, you know, it to sink your teeth into. Mm-hmm. But let's talk scenes, because that's yeah, going to be yeah. the funnest part of all. Well, I do, I do want to mention, like, this was Tony Scott's Hollywood film debut. Uh, and they actually did a TV series on The Hunger as well, and uh, Tony Scott actually did one of the episodes for that in 1997. Uh, Now, as you mentioned, the screenplay was based on a novel, uh, which was of the same name, by Whitley Strieber, uh, who, you know, Strieber also wrote another horror novel, uh, which had a very similar subject matter, but this one dealt with werewolves, uh, in a similar fashion, and that mo- that book would eventually be made into the movie Wolfen, which kind of yeah. started the whole uh, Predator vision be- cool. before Predator also, came out. <laughs> Whit- Whitley Strieber is also famous for writing the book Communion, which is an alien abduction communication book that is huge in the UFO world. That's uh, nuts. Because it's written as kind of a true story about uh, alien abduction. And that that book was a big hit back in the 90s or early 2000s. And not to kick too much dirt into Tony Scott's face. I mean, he went on to do like Top Gun, right? Yes, he did. So he was fine. He did just fine for himself. I mean, the, the movie is really beautiful, and it's uh, the pacing is very romantic, and it's very... Um, another slow-paced movie. It's another slow-paced movie, for sure. Uh, I, I thought there was value in that. You know, I thought, mm-hmm. I thought the movie was good on, on certain levels, but then when you think back, and I was trying really hard to think about, like, oh, you know, subtext and, and, uh, and different conversations that we could have during this recording, I thought everyone was hot. <laughs> Everybody looked really cool. I want to be a vampire in the end. <laughs> I mean, the, the movie definitely encapsulates. I mean, that's the 80s. Like, the movie came out in 83, and that's what 80s popular culture was at that time in a lot of ways. And it, it's also go. very ahead of its time, like putting Bauhaus, that opening scene, that how it feels like a classic MTV video. Right. Mm-hmm. Although MTV was pretty much brand new at that point. I think it had just started right around that exact same time. 
Uh, so it's kind of leading the way in terms of saying, like, this is what music videos should sort of be like, and this is what it feels like. I would also connect it in a weird way to uh, a later movie, Highlander, which is also extremely style over substance and like made by a music video director, but later on, but it has a similar feel to it. Like the opening of Highlander, not the old stuff, the stuff that takes place in the modern times at the wrestling match is kind of very similar to the opening of this movie where you kind of have that club scene with the band and the multiple monitors and it's interesting because, like, we were talking about the story being very straightforward, but I have to say, like, the, uh, the you know, the David Bowie part says he's, like, seen himself grow old and he's he's desperate and then um, just so depressed and then his death. Oh, and then, of course, uh, well, let me get past this part. And then, uh, and then uh, Miriam's reaction and, and, the, and the grieving, like, that was some good acting and you could really feel it. Mm-hmm. Like, you felt, really felt for them. Uh, and then... So that's, it's so interesting that, you know, there's a movie that, like, the, the story is so straightforward, but then we could still, it still managed to, you know, pull some some good feels out of you. And, uh, again, like, just a, a lot of really interesting, cool scenes. Like, uh, I was really appreciative of those uh, old man vampire trying to take down somebody to eat. You know? <laughs> uh, he has that weird interaction with that roller skater in, like, a tunnel or not a tunnel, like, a back street. And uh, decides to like, nope, nope, this one's got too much energy. Mm-hmm. And then decides to go after the 12-year-old, uh, what's her name, uh, Alice? The, who, the, the young girl that was learning to play violin with a, oh, right, learned the violin and photographer. That uh, <laughs> I think uh, Miriam was uh, her companion. Mm-hmm. 100% grooming her, even though she wasn't yeah. of age at that point, which I thought was... Uh, was interesting, <laughs> you know, not necessarily a route we normally see. But also, it, that that's a character that kind of goes back to classic vampire stories, too, where you kind of have the young familiar who mm-hmm. kind of like the street urchin kind of character right. who goes out and kind of does things for them out in the world while they stay at their mansion, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> and is being grew to become a vampire for sure um you kind of see that in some even in well, uh, like the penny dreadful uh, interview with a vampire interview with vampire things like that yeah because <clears throat> it does they do the thing where it is it meant to be extremely modern and extremely new mm-hmm. but also they're kind of harkening back to classic vampire tropes and things like that but sort of Let's you know. Let's look at it in a modern like like. What if we have that classic vampire story, but in modern day New York with the most modern things? You know, mm-hmm. kind of story. Mm-hmm. There was um, there was this uh, great reviewer online, Maven something, gothy awesome chick who does. I think she only does reviews about vampire movies. <laughs> oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I know you're talking about. Even something, but she only does. She only reviews vampire books and movies. And she actually had a really in-depth uh, sort of review about this movie, whereas all the other reviews were superficial and critical too. Uh, I mean, she talked a little bit about Tony Scott really wanted to direct Interview with a Vampire, and that movie didn't end up coming out until what, like ten or eleven years later. Mm-hmm. And how. This particular movie, which was sort of like the sorrowful vampire, the point of view of the vampires, uh, that was, it was an interesting turn that didn't actually take hold until Interview with a Vampire came around later. Where, uh, and by that I mean that right after this movie came out, like the the vampire movies that followed it, this reviewer was talking about, um, reverted back to the old traditional, straightforward, gonna kill ya, I'm the bad guy vampire. And it wasn't until Interview came out that kind of bounced back. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really interesting tidbit of information about basically where uh, Tony Scott was coming from. He wanted, and I think ultimately, like, uh, he was, this was this, I don't know, I don't think there's the, any amount, this amount of artistic effort. Now, let me rephrase that. 
uh, I'm not saying his movies aren't art. I'm just saying that this was a very artsy fartsy movie, and I don't know that he's done another one that even got, comes close to that. All of his other movies are, are right more mm-hmm. driven, which is incidentally the complete opposite of this movie. So he definitely just did a 180 on, on that. So yeah, there's the the only like other movie that I can think of that tries to like match the sex appeal of this movie was like We Are the Night, which came out in like 2010, which revolved around the uh, like a trio of female vampires uh, that mm-hmm. also kind of like hit the nightclub scene uh, as well. Uh, a pr- pretty good movie, honestly. I like. I think that's better than than this one. But I will say, my favorite tidbit of information about this movie is about David Bowie. Uh, Specifically, when it came to his voice, because, like, as his character was, like, aging progressively, his voice kept getting more hoarse. So in order to do that, to, you know, match the drastically shift in his age, he would go out on the, uh, the George Washington Bridge and he would just scream punk rock songs that he knew. (laughs) <laughs> so his voice would just be going. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, wait, wait cool. a minute. <laughs> That's pretty cool, David. That's pretty cool. I really liked in the story uh, the fact that, and I wish it had been delved into more deeply. The story was the part where that was kind of lacking in this movie. But <clears throat> the, it's a really great idea that could be like a whole separate movie because this movie didn't kind of go there. But the idea of a vampire that's been alive for hundreds of years who is now suddenly rapidly aging mm-hmm. and getting afraid of dying. Now he's being faced with death and he's getting afraid. So he goes to a scientist <laughs> to try to figure out like, hey, I'm a vampire, like, take my blood and study it so that you can help me. Yeah. Like, it might help you solve aging problems for science, but also it's going to help me continue my life. And and it's you have this kind of supernatural creature that's going to a scientist to try to get help. Yeah, this plane didn't really make it very far. Yeah, Yeah, unfortunately, that did not really bear out in any way. It kind of just got dropped or didn't even... It was almost... Her, Susan Sarandon's character in that storyline was almost just an excuse to get her like in the room with the other vampire. Like <laughs> that, the story of what she was doing in terms of the science ended up having nothing to do with. Makes me wonder. The, you know, the end of the movie. Yeah, it makes me wonder how much of it was dealt with, how it was dealt with in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that might have been a little more. So maybe you need to read a sexy vampire book. Yeah, it's, it's it's basically like, uh, oh yeah, you have non-human blood in you, and she's like, okay, well, what the hell does that mean? What side's winning? Yeah, but the, the, when we were watching this, of course, you know, this movie's probably most relative relatively known for like the lesbian scene in it, and you know, when they're setting the stage for this, you know, you have like the wine spill moment. And then my initial thought is like, why the hell is your shirt so see-through when it was just like a, a very minute amount of like, why? <laughs> and I'm just like shaking my head like, no part of this movie is realistic and how that would actually play out. <laughs> Apparently Susan Sarandon had uh, requested that uh, that scene be changed because originally she was going to be inebriated mm-hmm. when, they, they, uh, when she was seduced. But she thought it was more powerful for her to be be a consensual Mm -hmm. sexual scene. Um, Again, that reviewer, Maven, what's her pretty face, uh, was mentioning that uh, she felt that the sex scene was still very exploitive uh, because Mm -hmm. it it catered to the male gaze because you didn't really um, see any of their sort of, you didn't really read any emotions on their face. It was all like very like here's a boob, here's a hip. But it wasn't, and it wasn't like there was no real relationship between them that developed. It yeah. was just sort of a seduction. It was a, it was all seduction, and and I mean, and while it was really highly erotic, um, I, I don't. I mean, there's that point of view, and but uh, there's others also. Like I mean, there's also to consider that they're you know uh, that they're two women that are that are seeking out you know, sexual gratification and there that's never an issue. That's never like considered a bad thing. And that's it doesn't come with a downfall of anybody. It's you know something else. But uh 
Additionally, though, I was going to say, and this part I'm not stealing from another reviewer, <laughs> is that I, it also plays into the, the notion of, of, of a voyeur, which I really don't have a problem with, I think, considering uh, I mean, we're all movie buffs, which means that I feel like all of us sort of have developed a sense of voyeurism when it comes to, to, to scenes and, and movies in general. Uh, I'm not saying that we skulk around looking into people's windows, although if they have an open curtain, that's on them. <laughs> But uh, I, I kind of wanted to defend that sex scene a little bit on that part, but I definitely see the point of view that, oh, okay, so it wasn't really like, uh, a, you know, a lesbian sex scene. It was mm-hmm. more of a, you know, TV lesbian sex scene. I'm, but, I'm non-progressive. You know, mm-hmm. but, you know, to put it in its time, that was an extremely edgy sure. scene because it's 1983 and it's like well, sex is not portrayed true, in positively, and for the most part, so that was like a pretty edgy thing to sort of have the the main relationship. The protagonist and antagonist are both women, and they're having a sexual relationship. And it looked like a lot and of fun. It, <laughs> and in these male gays, you know, it's not like they wouldn't back in through that story would not have been two men. They're, they wouldn't have done it that way. It had to be two women, but. Still went places that you just didn't go at that time. And that might have been why Interview with a Vampire took so long. Mm-hmm. If yeah. they were already talking about making that movie in '83, but it didn't come out until the '90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. It's. I always think of Interview with a Vampire, Interview with a Vampire, as a modern story. But that book came out in the '70s. Yeah, in the '70s. It's actually a really relatively old book. Hmm. I always think of it as being more of like a '90s thing, you know, a late '80s thing. But uh, that's some serious lady point too. And oh. sorry, I threw you off. Huh? No, no. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, and I did like they. So, in terms of the relationships, it also was so we have the drug addiction aspect, as we sort of talked about, where she has the bruises on her forearm, uh, which are from that her boyfriend sees and realizes that uh, Susan Sarandon is cheating on her boyfriend. Right. He sees the marks on her arm, which is kind of like heroin marks, but that's where they've been drinking the blood, which, of course, these vampires don't have fangs. They use a little knife that they cut their victims with before they drink their blood. And we never see dread blood drinking scenes in this movie either. He avoided sort of the, that traditional trope of, like, mm-hmm. you kind of see it where, but it looks more like they're giving a, a hickey. It looks yeah, more it, sexy. it's more of a hover. Yeah. Yeah, you don't really see blood. You see a couple of slashes. Yeah, you see a little bit of blood, but not a lot. But, uh, and I, I did lose my train of thought there for a second. I always have to lose my train of thought at least once. What else can we talk about? Well, I will say, like, I did appreciate the fact that, you know, John, her her early companion, uh, you know, he is a talented cellist who uh, she had married in the 18th century France. And I'm glad, like, that part actually played into, like, kind of like their backstory in regards to, like, okay, like, we're this wealthy couple living in New York. Uh, we can be like classical music teachers and that's going to be the way that we can draw people in whether it's to like feed on them or you know to <laughs> groom them uh in her case for for miriam uh and I, I did think it was interesting that like you know the the whole like knife sequence was like basically onk based which kind of like tied into like the egyptian aspect of it but what was weird is it's just like there's this weird part in this movie where it's like they're supposed to be vampires, but it also feels like Miriam is something like a lot bigger than that because it is kind of like an alien base entity. Uh, but I don't know like what sort of stuff was like drawn from the books because I I've been hearing like there's a lot of differences between the book and what we actually got to see on screen. So I don't know if it's further explained and there's more lore behind the creature aspect of it. Uh, or or anything like that. So, like, that was my biggest question, because, like, it did feel like there were a lot of things missing from this puzzle. Yeah, they definitely kind of didn't explain that. They just give you that quick scene of seeing her. 
they sort of show her through time interacting and then you see the oldest time frame flashback of her in ancient Egypt sort of, I guess, drinking the blood of one of her, you know, of a random victim. Uh, and yeah, so they don't really explain. It's, it's like a vampire movie, but not really a vampire. They're not really vampires. It kind of it's like a with a special type of it. I mean, they're definitely vampires, but it's just a different lore. Yeah, he, he definitely wants to sort of reinvent the vampire a bit. There's, Another movie I would sort of relate this to is, um, what is it? Half Dark Sun. Oh, of course, I can't remember the name of the movie as I say it. But um, the um, movie with Bill Paxton, where the vampire, it's that old wet kind of old west feeling modern vampire with Bill Paxton, where they near attack dark. the near dark. Mm-hmm. That this kind of has that like, we're going to reinvent vampires. These are uh, traditional okay, yeah. vampires. These are new modern vampires. I mean, like, you, you can call it, you know, reimagining a vampire, but also the original lore had no reason to be. I mean, mm. it was just, you know, okay, some old, really, you know, it's always a blood disease because, of course, they're drinking blood, but, it, you know, the old vampire, it's like, well, here's some old, uh, what, royal blood that kind of has gone so wrong. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no real reason, I guess, other than, like, the whole Vladimir and Taylor you know, connection. <laughs> There's no real reason for it to be an awesome big old castle and not like, you know, Egypt. So two two things I would point out to you that I kind of liked about this movie that stood out to were like that uh, you have uh, the old vampire character. I'm forgetting her name. Um, Miriam. Miriam. Look at me, Miriam. Is Sorry. very classical. She dresses kind of nineteen forties and is, is a classical yeah. beauty. And then you have Susan Sarandon, who has her very eighties haircut and dresses really modern. So she was like, you have this thing. kind of thing where David Bowie and her are these kind of very classical people. He wears like the old suits mm-hmm. and they live right. in this old apartment, and it's kind of the old the old cool world like these are the cool like people that you wanted to be like from the old days being kind of replaced by the new cool people from the 80s like susan sarandon so you kind of that like the classical world kind of dying out being replaced Uh by the modern world and then i felt like they were trying to make a point i like the boxing up it feels like they're making a point that I don't completely get about relationships where oh. this kind of really like it, she's this awesome woman that everyone wants to be with and she's lived for ages and she's really beautiful and she has all this money and the David Bowie like, really wants to yeah. be with her. He wants to stay with her and be with her, but she's kind of like, it, it's almost kind of like, like he's aging and any vampire that she creates isn't as powerful as her or right. long-lasting as her, which is kind of a thing from vampire lore that yeah. every vampire that they create is sort of less powerful than the next one. They get lesser and lesser powerful right, as right. they are created. Um, and that he really wants to be with her, but that, that she is kind of like, like I'm kind she's of cool with, it. yeah, she's like, I'm all right with you kind of wearing out your welcome and I'm all right, but like, but this is a way of life. Yeah. I lose lovers to boxes. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's done this so many times that it's not, she's she's not broken up about it. He he really doesn't want pretty good reason. You know, one of them's going to end up in a box, but even beyond being in the box, like he just doesn't want, like he's afraid of dying. He thinks he's died. He just Mm -hmm. doesn't want to like lose his whole situation with her. And so, there's definitely that thing of her just kind of like being like, well, I'm kind of done with you. You know, I got that I'm too. I'm put you aside and go on to my next person where in the real world, you kind of have people who do that, men and women. That's true. I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because to your point, like, uh, or, you know, we're saying that she does grieve. There's several scenes where she's weeping and, and she's holding him and she, she really loved him. But to your point, like, um, uh, she is already used to the process and she's not sort of objecting to it, you know, like, or not, yeah, like she's not fighting a tooth and nail like he is. 
And even when she goes to seek out Susan Sarandon, just for the information, when she meets her at, at the book signing, you know, like, David over here is, like, falling apart. And she's just taking her sweet-ass time. I'm like, oh, who are you? You know, and she's already sort of engaging in a very sort of uh, uh, seductive way with Susan Sarandon. Mm. And she, even though she is grieving, like, the, the passing of a lover, it's more of, like, the end of a relationship versus yeah. the end of somebody's life. Yeah. And she's on to somebody, you know, to another new relationship. Mm. And so uh, even though she's grieving... Um, you, you get a very certain sense that like her lovers are just toys and even as much as, as much seriousness as she wants to give to other people's lives at the end of the day, like they really, they can't, she can't be that serious about them because they're only around for a little while. When it's, it's that thing where she's been immortal for so long, she wants a companion. And so she's just like, I gotta have that companion and you're no longer like you oh, can't man. fulfill that role, so yeah. sorry, you got to go in the box. Susan, it, she's hot. Yeah, <laughs> on to my next uh, love. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, we're not even mentioning the fact that John actually begs Miriam to kill him, uh, just to like release him from the agony that he's yeah. feeling. Uh, and you know he's so he's so decrepit at this point, and Miriam's just like, no, you know, there's th- there is no release for this. <laughs> And that's when he, you know, collapses to the floor, and that's eventually when, you know, Miriam takes him to the attic, where we see just, you know, the giant stack of coffins up there with all of her former lovers. A lot of coffins. So are... does that, did them once, I mean, because they all fell apart, but it was when she died, huh? Well, that, so I they mean, couldn't yeah, die unless she died? Getting to that, that's definitely one of the lead parts of the story, right. for sure, for me, was that. Why couldn't you kill them? Like, just mm-hmm. leave them get them out of their Yeah, like, what even happens at the end? You know, mm-hmm. I like, you know, it's very, like, classic horror, almost like EC Comics Tales from the Crypt. Mm-hmm. I buried alive. That these buried alive people now come out of their graves to exact revenge on her for what she's done. Uh, but in terms of kind of the lore of the movie, uh, why that happens isn't totally clear. <laughs> how, why she's defeated by that happening isn't totally clear to me. Is that, did she not get stabbed by Susan Sarandon? No, Susan Sarandon got stabbed by Susan Sarandon. Yeah, she stabs I mean, herself. Yeah, the, the main vampire. Oh, they throw her over the, uh, they push her over the balcony. Oh, that's right, because she lives in a three-story apartment. Yeah. But it's sort of like she loses, somehow she sort of loses her power because of them coming back. Because she, she seems to just die from being pushed off the balcony. And that doesn't seem which, like they should do it. Yeah, that shouldn't, <laughs> that shouldn't do she it. She doesn't get impaled or anything like a traditional. It's like grief. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, it's very artsy. Yeah, because there isn't a clear, at least as far as that I mm-hmm. can see, a clear explanation for what that was about. Yeah, but I- Although it's good. I, uh, I think my favorite part, though, like when they're actually in the attic, you know, you have uh, Miriam who's just like, oh, be, be good to him tonight, as, you know, another lover is just nailed in the coffin at this point. Jesus. My favorite part was that they had beautiful white doves in the attic. I'm like, yeah, have, like really messed up mangled pigeons up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It should have been pigeons. We have pigeons. We don't have beautiful white doves. They're hobbled, too. Yeah, very, really slow-paced movie. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the opening is so strong that it does kind of, like, rail off a bit Mm -hmm. in the middle where you're kind of, it doesn't quite sustain its level of energy or quality. Like, you know, halfway through, you're kind of like, "Eh," and then it gets good kind of back. Well, they really, they, I mean, they really sell on sexual energy right off of the bat and then of course you get it back during that sex scene that we talked about before but then like there's a lot of parts where there isn't any sexual energy and then you're like well why am i here in the first place it's, <laughs> it's, it's as we mentioned storylines that kind of don't go anywhere yeah like once susan sarandon shows up kind of in that second half it really becomes more of a straight up romance story between right. them and a seduction Oh, yeah. The main character trying to seduce her to become her next love. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, and we, yeah, we kind of unfortunately drop 
the whole kind of science story. That would have been fun to follow that. Yeah, like, it, it kind of just felt like, you know, when Sarah stabs herself with the knife, you know, she's trying to kill herself in this moment, but, like, she's also, like, trying to, like, forcibly open, like, Miriam's mouth. So it kind of felt like, in a way, they were trying to say, like, maybe, like, the human side of her was actually winning out. So, like, when the bloods meshed or was ingested by Miriam, oh. that weakened her, oh. her, like, her body basically and that's how you know her former mummy lovers were able to overpower her at that point at least that's how i took it <laughs> yeah yeah that's as likely as anything else for mm -hmm. sure yeah the movie was a lot of fun i mean it was also nice to uh finally watch uh an iconic people have been talking about see clips about it everywhere and it's made so many different things famous uh, but I ne never haven't seen it. it, you know, it was just a uh, sort of, um, sort of hearsay for me. We're like, oh yeah, that movie that David Bowie. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those movies where the movie poster is really iconic. Right. See people will have that movie poster on their wall mm -hmm. or, you know, you'll see it in movies. It's, it, it, the movie poster is definitely maybe the, one of the most iconic aspects of it at this point. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and, the Bauhaus, and then the Bauhaus opening. That's, I think, probably the two things that keep this movie as sort of a cult classic. And David Bowie, mm -hmm. obviously, that keep it as a cult classic. And it is extremely ahead of its time. It, it, you know, it's not like the greatest movie in terms of its story, but it really, like, does things that were brand new right. and that would become standard. For, for vampire stories mm -hmm. after that. You know, it, the, I feel like it's easily, you know, it's before Lost Boys. Mm -hmm. And so it's definitely one of those first movies where you have hip, cool, modern vampires that aren't Bella Lugosi wearing a cape or Christopher Lee wearing a cape as awesome as he is, mm -hmm. where you're getting these cool, modern characters that look like rock stars. Or like, instead. you know... Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and may, and probably more than probably the vampire gets that more than any classic monster. The kind of reinvention to be modernized. Yeah, I think even more than werewolves or you know, let me go with the werewolf or any of the classic like mummies for sure. Kind of got a romantic mummy, the Brendan Fraser version. <laughs> Slightly, but not really. <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> he was trying to romance Rachel Weiss uh, of that. Oh, movie, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like this might be the movie that, you know, the movie, not the book, but that kicked off the whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was a lot. I, I still thought it was a lot of fun, but I remember thinking back, like, oh, okay, so what are we going to talk about? And I, you know, was kind of, you know, come up with some ideas and I was like, <gasps> Yeah, cool and I'm I'm still yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how like a one tiny dot of red wine made it look like Susan Sarandon was in a wet T-shirt contest. Just doesn't, it doesn't add up, you know. Just that's not how it works. Scientists, <laughs> scientists don't wear bras. It's, it's like she was a scientist; she couldn't be bothered to put a bra. She's, she's got her brain power focused on bigger things, mm -hmm. like monkeys that don't go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, fifty-six hours. <laughs> Yeah. A little bit reminiscent of uh, 28 Days Later. You have, like, the rain monkey. And you get the cool scene, the cool uh, stop-motion animation scene of it uh, rotting in high speed. Oh, yeah, that was cool. Uh, which was kind of a fun, random scene. I did want to mention that, and I brought this up when we were watching this movie, that it was movies like these, like this. I mean, not this one exactly, because I hadn't seen it all the way through before. But it was movies like this that, like, you know, made me want or maybe be interested in science and try to be a scientist. And I took a couple of science courses in college and I was like, this is boring as fuck. And, you know, like there's no romantic lighting in here. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, you know, you know, coming across really impressive, you know, discoveries all the time. It's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's not just like pouring blood into a petri dish and going, that's a vampire. <laughs> oh, my God. 
another random thought about this movie is that it felt a lot like a Ridley, an old Ridley Scott movie, and it kept reminding yeah, me the, of Blade Runner. The lighting, and the then like the, like the remember like the the red uh, light inexplicably and mm-hmm. like the not inexplicably like that was their uh, like the design choice, red, yeah. the neon red light in, in uh, the boyfriend's apartment. You're like, you live like that? Oh, it's the eighties. So. It had that kind of suck, that kind of eighties cyberpunk Blade Runner right. kind of feel. To it really it. did, and it would have. Well, that was after Blade Runner. No, yes, right around the same time. I think Blade Runner also came out in eighty three. I think or eighty two, right around the exact same time. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Well, I guess it was an aesthetic that was getting popular. You know, something edgier and sexier. And also definitely an unusual movie in terms of its structure where, yeah, like you have David Bowie for the first half of the movie. Right. And then he dies. And then you have Sylvia Tran for the second half of the movie. It's very much like you have one story for the first half and then a second story for the second half. And there's no hunting in the second part because, I mean, you know, you've got your very straightforward, like, we're vampires and we kill to live. And uh, but after Bowie dies and Susan Sarandon comes on, yeah, you get the whole frame on her boyfriend peak part of it. But that's not a lot of hunting. That's like luring somebody into your into your web. But even when she's out being a junkie on the streets of uh, New York City, like she doesn't attack anybody. She doesn't get you know, she doesn't create a, an opportunity to even do so. So really, it just becomes a lot more of like addiction, like you know. Vampirism as addiction, and then also sort of a power struggle between somebody who wants you to join them and and you, like, you know, basically rejecting. And the drug, like the drugs thing, the way that they show them getting their victims is that they go out to a nightclub and pick up up a person, and then they go, or two, and then they go back to their place and party with them and then kill them. So it's very much that kind of like, see, guys, it's good we don't go to clubs in our nerdy. (laughs) <laughs> for sure. and yet, she was addicted to prolonged yeah see you don't need to go out and buy drugs if you know whatever you're feeding on is already on drugs ah yeah, there you go. yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> don't need to, don't need a double dip and get them separate you know it's just a one <laughs> it's a package deal in this case with the nightclubs uh but yeah so Interesting movie, some high highs, low lows, but uh, an interesting way to 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 end the month for Fear of Aging. And I have to say, so we got we got we got a little bit of smut in, in this. So I figured, okay, let's 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 dial it up a little bit because one of the next movies we're going to be talking about has quite a bit of that. <laughs> Just in general, because you do have like that sleazy, like Girls Gone Wild esque character. Oh. in Piranha 3D. Now, that being said, next month we're doing Aquaphobia, which is the fear of water, as many of you would uh, probably guess. Uh, so we're going to start with an original versus remake discussion of Piranha, both the uh, Joe Dante one, which came out in the 70s, as well as Piranha 3D, uh, which had really good gore in that movie some some really cool effects and uh it should be a good one we've we've had a blast with our other you know original versus remake discussions and there's a lot that can be said about both of these so we'll be kicking off the month with that and uh we'll see what other movies follow after there's definitely quite a few to choose from whether it's creature movies shark movies uh you know, we, we were talking about like the Deep House, The Abyss, who knows? There are a multitude of options that we could choose yeah. from, but we'll let you guys know as soon as we sort out the uh, the calendar month. We said that we're all fair game, whether they're creature features or haunted ghost ships and whatnot, or or islands. Mm-hmm. We're excited. It's a wide range. But we probably want Jaws just because that's too obvious. Yeah, we we need we need tried and true gimmicks like killer water parks. <laughs> Be nice. Not saying I'm not saying Aqua Slash is a great movie, but it's an option. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying Ghost Ship is a good movie either, but it's got that great opening scene. That that's to be honest, Holly, that is the only thing about that movie I remember. <laughs> And it's probably for good reason. 
<laughs> the, yeah. the cable snapping and cutting everyone in half. I know. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> I think they knew that was the best scene in the movie because they show it like three times in the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Billy Ray Cyrus played Thank You Ricky Hart twice in a set, I think. <laughs> you got you, know, you got to give people what they want. Mm hmm. Well, whatever works. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's going to be next month. Fear of water all throughout June. Should it be a really good phobia? And we'll be kicking off with our piranha discussion. Uh, but until then, that's going to do it for us here tonight on Hand to Whisker. If you guys are looking to contact the show, of course, you can do so. Uh, and you can reach us, you know, on Twitter at Handle Whisker. You can find all of our YouTube content there at Handle Whisker Pod. And of course, if you would like to directly support the show, you can either check out our Tee Public, we where we have merchandise available, or you could support us via Patreon at patreon.com slash handle with scare. Uh, but in the meantime, everyone enjoy your weeks. Go check out whatever new releases are out there. And uh, you know, if you're looking for a good companion piece of the hunger, go check out We Are the Night, released in 2010. Which is another sexy vampire movie, because there just aren't enough of them at this point. Not enough. Not enough. All right, you guys take care.